good morning, everyone. I don't know how I can top that. I, I can't, I can, as I said, I can hee-haw like a donkey, but that's about as far as I go. But. All right, well, if you got your Bibles with you this morning, we are going to continue on just what we've been doing these last so many, many months now. And uh, I, man, we're just thrilled about what Jesus is all about and who he is. And we're so glad. Aren't you thankful to be plugged into a family like this one that you can come and worship God freely and you're among people of faith who love Jesus, not only just love Jesus, but know how to bring Jesus into this earth that so desperately needs him. And we're so thankful for that. I mean, I don't know about you, but I, uh, if, I didn't, if I wasn't part of a church, this, I would go to this church. I actually would go here. I really enjoy it. It's great. Just making sure it wasn't me. Okay. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah. You feel the same way. All right. Okay. <clears throat> All right. Well, if you got your Bibles, let's go to Titus chapter 2. And let's pray before we jump into this. Heavenly Father, we love you with all of our hearts, and we are so, again, thankful for everything that you are, everything you've done on our behalf through Jesus. And Lord, we thank you right now. We look to the Holy Spirit who lives inside of each and every single one of us. He is the teacher and the instructor and the developer of the church, and we are so, so grateful that he lives inside of us to show us Jesus and to reveal Jesus to us. Father, we thank you that you came not just to give us another religion, but you came to to establish a relationship. And Father, we love you for that, and we are so grateful to be part of the family of God. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. So in Titus chapter 2, I'm going to uh, try to catch everybody up in this, because I know maybe some of you are, haven't been here for a while, or maybe you're just kind of visiting, checking it out. We've been talking about grace for probably about eight or nine months now. And grace, what is grace? Grace isn't just a topic. Grace isn't just a pretty name that you name, you know, maybe your little daughter or something. Grace is actually someone, and his name is Jesus. And when you encounter Jesus, you see grace, and out of grace comes truth. And so much of the world that we're looking for in today is we're looking for truth. Well, Jesus, I mean, thank God, he said, I am the way, I am the truth. And so really, every time that we talk about truth, or we're talking about Jesus, we're talking about grace, and grace always reveals truth. And I, again, so thankful that Jesus came and he established this for you and I. He didn't come to give us another religion, a bunch of nice life lessons that we have to you know, add to our life. He came to reveal to you and I a heavenly father, and he wants a relationship with you through his son. This is what this whole thing is about. So if you're here this morning wondering, oh, what kind of religion is this, or is this some kind of cult? No, it's not. It's a relationship. We are a people that have accepted and received the grace of our God through Jesus Christ. And because of that, not that we're perfect or we're good, we simply received everything that he has given us. And because of that, now we have an access to the Father because of what Jesus has done. So all of us were in the same boat of sin. All of us are in the same boat of not being good enough. But that's why Jesus came, is to make the, the ground level again, where you simply accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, welcome into your life and into your heart, allow his life to now be everything to you. Now you have direct access to the Father, just like everybody else. Yeah. I'm so grateful there is no mediator between God and man, except for one man, Jesus Christ. You don't need no priest, you don't need no pastor to talk to God. You can go to God through Jesus on your own. That's good news, and I'm so thankful for that. We have a relationship with him. All right, and so we've been talking about this, and I mean, if you really want to catch up, I encourage you start in April and work your way through, and you'll end up to where we are today. You could probably do it in about six or seven months if you watch it nonstop, and you'll catch up with us. 
But till then, we were just going to be kind of joining with us here. We've been talking about not only did grace save us. I mean, we know by grace you have been saved through faith. We know that and celebrate that. But grace, when you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, it didn't stop there. The grace didn't just go, okay, yeah, now that you're in the kingdom of God, you got taken out of the kingdom of darkness and you are now part of God's dear son. Now you're all good. Now grace is kind of, you only need it to get out of the kingdom of darkness. No, grace is with you now to instruct and to teach you how to live this life. And that's the good news because, again, we're looking all over the place. Again, when I was in high school, we had this class called CALM, which was career and life management. Did I benefit anything out of it? Sorry if my, any of my teachers are listening to this. No. I, no, I, I didn't get nothing out of it. So what happens again? I'm so glad that the grace of God didn't just leave you say, okay, now you're a Christian. Now figure out and do life on your own. Now grace is here to establish, to train you how to live a life worth living. And so I want you to see this in Titus chapter 2, verse 11 through 12. The Holy Spirit wrote these words through the Apostle Paul, and it says, God's marvelous grace has manifested in person. And we know that to be Jesus. And he, Jesus, brought salvation for everyone. Now again, here's the gift of salvation. You have to receive it. And how do you receive this gift of salvation? You have to confess with your mouth, believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord. And by doing that, you've received this grace. You've received this salvation. And now, welcome to the family. It's wonderful. But notice what happens this. This same grace teaches us. Who is the us? Those that have received the manifested grace through Jesus when he brought salvation. So when you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, salvation came. Now this same grace, not only did it save you, but now it's here to teach you how to live each day as we turn our backs on ungodliness and indulgent lifestyles, and it equips us to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. So grace is here now to equip and train you on how to do life. I don't know about you, but I'm thankful for that. I need to know how to do life. Anybody else? I mean, you probably got it all figured out. Okay, there's a few friends in the house. Okay, good. I need help in that. And I'm so glad. I mean, I got, I got four kids that I'm raising. I need help. I have, I have a wife, and I got to be a husband to her. I need help. <laughs> all right. Some of you are just like, no, I got that. Okay. So again, if you were to show up to the school of grace and go, Mr. Grace, what are you teaching today? The first thing that he's going to say is how to depend on God. Grace is going to bring you back to the very foundation or the reason why you were created was complete dependency upon God. Grace is going to teach you how to do that. We're going to dive into this a little bit more today. But really, if you were to go all of a sudden to show up to religion school or to the school of the law, You know what you would be involved in? You would be involved in self-effort. The law teaches that you aren't good enough and you have to be and act a certain way in order to get to God. That's religion and religion sucks with a capital S. It's not what Jesus came to bring to you and I. Jesus came to bring a relationship that he did all the work. I simply now believe in what he did and allow that, what he did to change the way that I think so now I start living this Jesus lifestyle. 
So rather, the religion says you have to change on the outside in order to get access. God goes, no, 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 here's my son. He changes you from the inside, changes the way that you think, and now you start understanding the way I created you to live. So all of this is a whole mind renewal. So this is what Jesus came to bring. So again, you showing up to, to, to School of Grace, what are you teaching? He's going to say how to depend on God. And again, for every area of my life, grace wants to touch. Not just for the big stuff, but he's talking about even nasty little stinking attitudes. Maybe you woke up this morning, it was minus 28 degrees, and you went, oh, grace wants to help you. Because people kind of go, oh, well, I'm just not committing any of you know, the, t- the big 10. I'm not doing any of those bad things. Listen, you be mean to, mean to the waitress when you go to lunch afterwards. It's just as wrong as anything else. So grace wants to help you not just with, you know, the big 10, but he also wants to help you with an attitude change. Yeah, seriously, when you look at the Weather Network app and it goes, hmm, minus 28, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. a great opportunity to get disgruntled. Right, Mom? Yeah. And, <laughs> Uh, before I continue on, my sister from Australia is here. I just want to say hi to my sister from Australia. <clears throat> Some people think, oh, man, it must be so hard. She's, she's, you know, she's on her own. In Australia. She's in Australia, folks. Yeah. It's 28 plus there today, and she's doing just fine. So if you're noticing something, you know, she's got a, there's a nice tan going on over there. Yeah, it's, it's there. It's over there. This is the only time in her life that she's darker than I am in the summer in a, in a tan setting, so... Uh, you're cheering for that. Stop that. That's all right. All right. All right. <laughs> now. All right. So again, grace is teaching me to depend on God because this, again, is our original design. Areas of my life that are messy, that have brought hurt, frustration, or even chaos are areas that I'm not depending God on. Yellow. Instead, these are areas where I'm reliant upon myself or anything or anyone other than God. So for you and I, this is what grace wants to do. He wants to bring you back into the created way that you were intended to be, which was completely dependent upon God. The good news again is, is that the message of grace is here to teach you and I to bring us back to this place of beautiful dependence upon God, where I am completely reliant on him for everything in my life. And again, I'm got, it bears record to say again, I can't look to my wife to all of a sudden say, make me happy. Wake up in the morning, tell me a joke. I need to be in a good mood today. I'm putting this expectation on her and she's not created to do that. Who is my source for everything? I need to look to my heavenly father. He's the source for everything I would ever need. And it would be wrong for me to look to any of you as my source of joy, as my source of peace. I need peace in my life. Be peaceful. Okay, I'm looking for some joy. Can you do something funny? I'm looking for some excitement in there. Can you sing a little louder? Can you see religion and stuff puts expectations on you to make me feel better? I will never find happiness in somebody else's brain. So I can't look in your brain to make me happy. Neither your actions to make me happy. I have to go to my source who is my heavenly father. Amen. Okay, now, depending on God... Grace will teach me to rely on God and his word regardless of what the natural looks like. Now again, how is this done? Because listen, there is no way you can rely on God's word while the natural looks completely opposite from an intimate relationship with him. It is impossible. 
You see Christians trying that all the time as they're trying to believe what God said. Meanwhile, the world and everything around in their circumstances looks different. It's hard to believe God and what he said when you don't know him intimately. My dependency upon God is going, only goes as far as my personal relationship with him. So this grace, what again, what he's bringing you back into is how to depend on God. Really, if you kind of go a little level deeper, it's to bring you back into this intimate relationship that he wants with you from before the foundation of the world. We kind of think relationship with God is only for the special and only for those that, you know, really want to be spiritual or have to do things like this, preach from a pulpit. No, he called you by name. You read that in Ephesians chapter one. He knew you before the foundation of the world. He called you by name. He says, I want you. I want a personal relationship with you. That's your call. You see that all through the New Testament. This is our calling is to have and be an intimate relationship with our heavenly father. This is the call. And why is it so wonderful and beautiful? Because he's bringing you and I back to where how he designed us to be. And it be, makes depending or trusting him that much easier when you know him. Yes. Now, this is why my reason for living and my motivation for life is to have a close relationship with Jesus through the Holy Spirit. Philippians chapter 3 verse 10. Again, a very familiar, popular verse. Maybe it's not to you. But this again, this is the Apostle Paul. The Holy Spirit's writing through the Apostle Paul. We know that. But this is a man that's writing these words, and he is now well advanced in years. He's done a lot of amazing things on behalf of the kingdom of God. And I want you to see, listen, this guy's very, I mean, you would kind of look at him. He's a well-seasoned minister. He's a well-seasoned Christian, right? This is, and now notice, look at the words that he says. My determined purpose is to do more Christian work. No. What is he saying? My determined purpose is that I may know him. Come on, say it with me. That I may know him. He says that I may progressively. Now notice, it's, it grows. Your relationship with him, it grows. It's progressive in the sense of, hey, what you knew last year, this year you had a deeper relationship since last year Christmas. That's good news. And next year, think about how much deeper it's going to be yet. But he says that I may progressively become more deeply and intimately acquainted with him, perceiving and recognizing and understanding. Listen to these words. Perceiving, recognizing, understanding the wonders of his person more strongly and more clearly. This is what he's after. I don't know about you, but what are you after? What wakes you up in the morning? Why do you do what you do? For me, this has to be a little adjustment in my motivation for living. Why do I wake up in the morning? Oh, I just got to go to work. You know, I got to pay bills. You know, I got, a, I got a lot of stuff to feed. You know, I got a lot of kids. I got a lot of mouths to feed. You know, there's a lot of things that I just got to take care of. If that's your motivation for living, it's going to get dull real quick. But when he becomes everything to me, when he becomes the reason I wake up, he's the reason I put my head on the pillow. He's the reason why I do everything that I do. It changes life. And you begin to go deeper and deeper into him. And when you know him, my trust level goes up. And all of a sudden when the gas pump says, who get dollar $1.23, yeehaw. But when it goes up to two twenty three, what are you going to do? Oh, dear God, what am I going to do about this? We start panicking. Why? Because the relationship isn't there. When you know him, it takes care of all that trash, all that stuff that's out there. Because again, you are not just a natural being looking for some supernatural existence. You are a spirit being. 
Yes, you. You are a spirit being, and you're temporarily sent here for a natural human existence. That's who you are. So again, this becomes the Apostle Paul's desire for life. This is what my soul longs for. He alone is what my life revolves around. This, again, is the safest place for me to live. What am I talking about? My hunger and my desire and my passion for God. Why is it the safest place? Because when he has my heart, he has my private life. And a lot of people, they'll show you their church life. They'll show you the good side. But what's the private life like? Because backsliding doesn't begin when the sin all of a sudden comes out. Backsliding begins the moment that anything in life becomes more valuable than him. Anything. So what do I have to do? I maintain my hunger. That's my job is to keep this heart, to keep my soul on fire for him. That's a full-time job. So my job isn't to look at, hey, how hungry are you? Hmm, you hungry? Hmm, you're not looking very hungry. Hmm, interesting. You're looking a little, little sluggish, a little spiritually lame over there. Actually, I'll call you kind of a spiritual dud over there. That's not my job. And meanwhile, we got Christians pointing that out, thinking this, this, and that. Your job is to keep my passion for the Lord boiling hot. And who could do that? Is that JB's job to keep me boiling hot? No. It's my job. Say me. I keep me on fire for him. How? By spending time with him. Now, <laughs> and again, as you start hanging around Jesus through his word, he begins to have an effect on you. Anybody ever met somebody, maybe you yourself, that you were one way before, and all of a sudden you started spending time with this Jesus, it changed you. You're all of a sudden a whole different person. He starts changing the way you think. He starts changing the way you act. He starts changing the way you talk. He starts changing the way you behave. Why? Because you start hanging out with him. This is what we would call the spirit of faith. Remember, we, if you again looking at a couple of these weeks leading up to this, we kind of interchange this thought of faith, meaning my complete dependency upon God. There's this spirit of faith or this spirit of complete depending on God. What is that? Look at this verse in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, 13. He says this, since we have the same spirit of faith, according to as is written, what is the spirit of faith? It's on the board, so if you do. It's like the teacher's pointing at the scantron. That's A, answer C. What is the spirit of faith? I believe and therefore I speak. That is the spirit of faith. Well, just as much as there is a spirit of faith, there is a spirit of fear. And what does the spirit of fear sound like? It sounds just like this. I believe, therefore I speak. When you talk about the spirit of something, you're talking about the core, the heart, I remember a lot of, again, my, my background is a lot of sports analogies. That's kind of the world that I came from. We would have coaches who intentionally would bring a spirit to the team. This is how we talk. This is our lingo. This is how we're going to act every time we get onto that field. This is what practices are going to look like. This is what we're going to train. This is how we're going to do it. And if you want, we're going to do it again. What are they doing? They're implementing a spirit to the team. So that the whole team catches on because there's nothing worse than coming to a team and everybody's got their own cultures, everybody got their own way of wanting to behave, everybody got their own thing that they want to do. I want to be the star. I want to do this. I want to do that. I want to be that position. I'm not going to play if I don't get that position. All of that is nasty. 
So what God came here to do is what Jesus did, is to unite us, you again, not just with one another, but with him. And allow him now to change you and I so we get attached to the spirit that he operates by. Jesus lives by the spirit of faith. He is the spirit of faith. So when Jesus speaks, sometimes we go, it doesn't make any sense. It's because you may be operating in a spirit of fear. What's the difference? Spirit of, they both talk, they both believe, and therefore they speak. But spirit of faith sounds like I completely depend on God. So this is how it sucks. This is how it sounds like. Oh, rather than, oh, you know, this is what happens at this time of the year. Everybody just going to get sick. Everybody just have a rough time. This is how bad, this is how nasty this time of the year is. That's the spirit of the fear. And that's what the world sounds like. And if you're going, well, I, I said that on my way here. That, okay, it's okay. No, no judgment, no condemnation. But when you start hanging around with him, he's going to start changing the way that you think. And there, as a result of changing the way you think, he's going to start changing the way that you speak. And before you know it, people go, man, what's, what's different about you? I've been hanging around somebody who talks a lot different. So it's good. You need to find some friends. You need to find, obviously, spend time with the Lord. He is the source of it. But get around some people who understand this depending on God lifestyle and start changing the way that you think. Some of your problem is not just like, I got problems here, I got problems there. It's actually the way you think. Your thinking sucks. So what do you do? You got to get around some other people that think a little bit differently than you. And I'm not just talking about political views. I'm not, I'm not talking any of that. I'm talking the spirit of depending on God. When you hang around people like that, you go, you know what? Yeah, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You start sounding a little bit different. And all of a sudden, you start speaking a little bit different. Things start looking a whole lot different in your life. You go, how did I get here? The spirit changed. And that's a good place to be. In fact, look at this in uh, Acts chapter 4. Look at what the Pharisees or the religious folks said about the disciples. In Acts chapter 4, verse 13. Uh, click. Are you there? No? Okay. I will find it here. Acts 4.13, if you want to turn there, I want you to see this. It says, the council members, they were astonished as they witnessed the bold courage of Peter and John, especially when they discovered that they were just ordinary men who had no religious training. Okay, so right here, this destroys the thought that I need to be a minister or have some kind of Bible training in order to have the spirit of faith operating in me. These guys had no training at all. What, what were their last three and a half years like? They spent time with Jesus. Did they do any kind of religious thing? Um, 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 gotta bow, gotta eat properly, gotta make sure I do ceremony. No, they hung around Jesus. That's what, that's what they did. Well, how do we hang around Jesus? You hang around his word. You get into meetings like this. You start listening to things regularly. You're not just listening to somebody talk. You're listening to his word. And his word is going to start changing you. And notice at the very end it says, they began, these Pharisees, these religious folk, listen, who knew everything. They had the Torah or the first five books of the Bible in the Old Testament. They had it memorized to a T. So these so-called smart guys, they saw something different about Peter and John. They were bold. They were courageous. And then they said they began to understand the effect that Jesus had on them simply by spending time with him. What does the church need more than anything? Time with him. We're trying to do Christian work outside, but we haven't done it first in my closet, in my own private time, where actually I can represent him everywhere that I go. And say so we just think this is what he would want. Don't think. you got to know. 
<laughs> so a lot of times we're guessing this is what he would like to do. This is what he says. And we're just operating out there hoping that one of these things works when in fact spend some time with him and you get to know him. Now, all of that just to say, we're going to get into something a little bit more here. Last week, uh, Jamie had a prophetic word for, for us. I don't know if you realize that or not, but there was a prophetic word that was given at the end of service, and it was talking about misplaced expectations. And again, we talked so much about, you know, when you are operating and allowing grace to teach you and I, yeah, grace is going to bring to you and I how to trust in God when the world, everything else looks contrary to what he said. Grace is going to help me to rely and trust on what he said. Grace, at the same time, is also going to teach you and I how to respond to the Father and not react to the devil. We're fighting a bad battle. We're fighting the wrong battles by constantly going after what everything darkness is trying to do out here. Your job is not just to fight darkness. Your job is to hold fast to what he did on your and my behalf. That's our job. That's the fight. The Bible tells us to fight the good fight of faith not fight the fight of the devil. That's not your job. So my job is to hold fast, hold on to what he did on my behalf. That's my job. So rather than fighting, I just got to get healed. I just got to get healed. No, 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 no. Here's when you start hanging around Jesus a little bit. The mindset starts to shift. And what is the shift? You aren't the sick trying to get better You are the well, and the enemy is trying to take what belongs to you away. You are the healed. You are the blessed. You are the peaceful. You are the joyous. That's who you are. Why? Because you are in him. When you're in him, you got everything you'll ever need. So what is it? The enemy is trying to take away what I got. Don't let him. So we went over that these last couple of weeks. I'm not going to get into it for time's sake. But then we also hit on the last one, too, is that grace, again, teaching you and I not only to rely or trust in the power of God, but also in the wisdom of God. And when I rely on the wisdom of God, that means I'm trusting his timing. I am saying, God, you are smarter than me. That has to be a revelation at some point in your life, where rather than you think you know it all, we know in part, the Bible tells us, he knows the whole thing. T-H-A-N-G, thang. (laughs) I know in part. But this word that came out last week was along the lines of misplaced expectations. And misplaced expectations are exactly that. They are misplaced. Like, example, have you ever, or maybe your spouse, we'll just maybe talk about your spouse for a sec. Have they ever misplaced keys? No, nobody looking around here. Nobody looking around. Oh, yeah, thank you. My, my wife raised her hand. Have you ever misplaced keys? What does that mean? I've, I've misplaced them. You put them in a position where they should not be. Right? So part of this, this prophetic word that came is that a lot of the frustration, a lot of the disappointment you may be having is misplaced expectations. So what we want to do a little bit this morning is just actually properly place our keys in the bowl by the door when you leave. Why? So that you don't get frustrated going, where are my keys? Where is all this stuff? They have to be put in the proper place. And it's the same thing spiritual-wise. We have to properly place our expectations. We have to properly place our dependency upon God. And we're going to find where not to place it and where to place it. Okay, let's get into this. So, 
um, where have expectations been misplaced when it comes to my relationship with God? Two things. Number one is in timing where I've put my expectations saying, God, I've prayed. Why haven't you done this yet? I gave you a date, December 31st, 2022. Why is it not done yet? That's a misplaced expectation. The second place where you can misplace your expectation is in methods. God, you didn't do this the way that I wanted you to. What is that? Misplaced expectations. And it seems that we as Christians, I I could be wrong, but it seems like this is where you and I are placing our expectations and you and I are saying we are strong in faith because God is going to do this, this way at such and such a time. Now, even though these thoughts may seemingly seem so small, yet they bring great devastation to a lifestyle of faith. Why? Because this how and when are not for you to decide. You are not God. Let's say that together, shall we? I am not God. How did that feel? Say that one more time. I am not God. But we start acting like it when we say timing and when and how this is going to be done. No, 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 no. (laughs) No, no, no. And again, the word that was there last week was there was just this disappointment There is this frustration inside some because of misplaced expectation. So don't look at this and go, I I guess I'm wrong. It's not a, you're bad. It's going, I need to make a correction here. This is the root of my frustration. God, I've been praying for my son for X amount of years. Why haven't you done this yet? And again, these questions, when you start asking, it's going to start leading you to this place of unbelief. You're going to start looking at God as the problem when God is the one who is on your side. When you read the word, God is for you. The problem is now you are putting expectations on him that he never told you to put on. Now, so the question there, now we have to ask ourselves is, where does my expectation need to be placed then? Where does my dependency upon God need to be placed? Ready? Here's your answers. Again, two parts. The answer is this, in what he said and in who he is. That's my expectation. In what he said, and in who he is. The rest of it is his, his issue. My part is to give him what he needs, which is my dependency on him, his character, his nature, and in what he said. So let's look again here. Uh, Abraham and Sarah are a wonderful example, because the Bible tells us that they are our father, mother, and mother in the faith. So let's take a look at this again in Hebrews chapter 11. I want you to see how they operated, how they acted. Now again, you see this word faith, but I also want you to notice this word faith that we've used a lot of time and I've submitted it to you is my dependency upon God. This is what word of faith is. It's dependency upon God. This is what it is. Nothing more, nothing less. If it doesn't lead me, if the more that I'm involved in this, it's not faith. It's not dependency. Grace is teaching me to depend on God. That means there's no self-reliance. Did you know that to be, to be selfless is a journey? Meaning what? Selfishness, getting out of selfishness is a journey. Because we are all born selfish. 
gimme, gimme, I want, I want, I want, do for me, do for me. That's how it is. I have, I mean, I, right now I got a toddler living in my house. And a lot of the conversations that we're having, I'm hungry. I'm tired. I can't find puppy. Can you get this? I want snack. And it's constant, but that's where he's at. He's toddlerhood. And listen, when somebody comes into the kingdom, yeah, that's, that's maybe where they would be. That's totally fine. But as you start to rub off on Jesus, you're starting to see how he acts is where I'm going for. So am I perfectly selfless? Jamie said no. <laughs> so we'll go with that. What does that mean? It means that I'm still on this journey with grace teaching me how to completely depend on him. And as I'm depending more on him, selfishness is being more and more snipped off my life. That's what we're going for. Because his word says that I'm supposed to treat other people more important than myself. That's, that's, that's the standard. Well, how do I just do that? I just do it out of religious obligation. I just, okay, I'll work hard on this. I'll work. No. When you are empowered by grace, it actually becomes a joy. Rather than being a doormat thinking, this is just the way that I'm supposed to be. No, it's a joy. I get to serve. Any kind of promotion you get in life, anything, it's a promotion in servanthood. That's what it is. The Lord said that to me a couple of weeks ago. Any kind of promotion that I'm promoting you in, it's going to be a promotion in serving. So this is what we're called to do. I'm here to serve. I'm not here to be served. I'm here to serve. Lord, grace, teach me. Jesus, teach me how to become more like you in this area of my life. That's the goal. So again, I want you to see Abraham and Sarah, their example again, faith or their dependency upon God motivated Abraham to obey God's call and leave. Say with me, leave. He left. What did he leave? The familiar... So again, just think about that. This was familiar. You're living in mom and dad's basement. It's familiar. I've been here now for 70 years. It's a good place. My mama makes good meals. Good stew, good turkey dinner. It's fantastic. And all of a sudden, the call to leave the familiar to discover the territory he was destined to inherit from God. Now notice Abraham's response to this. Continue on verse 8. He says, so he left... With only, with only a promise. Again, where is our expectation supposed to be? In who he is and what he said. You don't see Abraham going, okay, but before I go, I want to know all the stops that I'm going to take to get there. I want to know what the land's going to look like. I want to know who's living in that land. I want to know all about these things before I take off. Now, again, remember, grace. What is grace teaching you and I? How to depend on God. Could Abraham do this without a relationship with God? No. So this says to me, how many things am I missing in my life, conversations in my life, am I missing because my dependency on God is not there? Because I refuse to go intimate with him. How many things am I missing? That's a wake-up call to me. What does that mean? It's not like, okay, I'm looking for these conversations. It now goes, Lord, I want to know you intimately. I want you, I want you, I want you. So he left with only a promise, and without even knowing ahead of time where he was going, Abraham stepped out in or depending upon God. This is how he did it. Continuing on, verse 9. He lived by his dependency upon God as an immigrant... 
in his promised land. God, I thought you gave me this land. I did. How come I'm an immigrant in it? For now. The time is not yet. So don't you see Abraham having any arguments? I'm done with this, God. I'm out. You said that this was supposed to be my land. Well, forget about it. Now I'm living here as an immigrant. And it's my land. He doesn't do any of that. So he says in his promised land, uh, as though it belonged to someone else. He journeyed through the land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, who were persuaded that they were also co-heirs to the same promise. Now, verse 10. Notice this. His eyes. Say with me, his eyes. Something affected his eyes. What was it? His dependency upon God changed the way he saw things. So could it be, could I submit to you that as you develop a relationship with God through his word, and as you get closer and closer and start rubbing shoulders more and more with him, he's going to start changing the way that you see things. Rather than seeing things as doom and gloom, you start seeing things as an opportunity for the gospel to get out in a powerful way. I don't know how many times I've seen Canada has hit its low. Canada is the, the, one of the worst nations to live in, and they list China and all these other things. I just stop and say, wait, the eyes of faith, when you start hanging around God, what an opportunity it is. You think the enemy is pushing so hard his agenda on this, all of a sudden people are starting to look for freedom. People are starting to look for what's truth. People are starting to look for, I need hope. And guess where the church needs to be? I've been close with him. Guess who he is? Guess how kind he is? Guess what he's able to do? It changes everything because the eyes of faith change the way you see life. So rather than seeing doom and, oh, and this sucks, start looking a little differently by rubbing shoulders with them. What an opportunity we have to reach a generation that the world calls confused, but God says, no, they're not. Naturally speaking, I'm not speaking that over anybody. They're confused. No, 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 no. That's the enemy is the king of confusion. So what do we speak over them? Life. I speak life, freedom, joy over this generation. Why? Because they're going to see it. Why? Because you and I are getting close with the Father, and at the right time, you and I are going to be released in a proper time for when he needs us ready to go. So what are we doing in this meantime? I'm getting to know him. I'm able to lean more and more onto his grace and what he's called us to do. Because listen, the anointing is just not on the pulpit. The anointing is on you. Wherever you go, you take the anointing with you. All of a sudden, you're walking in Superstore, and all of a sudden, on the speaker goes, aisle five is going crazy in Walmart. Aisle five, what's going on here? The anointing hit aisle five. Everybody get to aisle five, and people are getting delivered in aisle five. How? Because you're there. And you know in whom you have believed. Okay. His eyes of faith were set on the city with unshakable foundations, whose architect and builder is God himself. Now, verse 11, let's talk about Sarah, your mama in the faith. Sarah's faith or Sarah's dependency upon God embraced God's miracle power to conceive even though she was barren and was past the age of childbearing. For the authority of her dependency upon God, it rested in the one... Who made the promise? Not how he was going to do it and when he was going to do it. It rested in what he said. And because she rested her faith in what he said, she tapped into something. What did she tap into? His faithfulness. God loves to be trusted. 
not dictated as to when and how he's supposed to do things. When you start saying, Lord, I trust you. I trust you. I trust you. Lord, it don't matter how long it's going to take. I trust you anyways. He loves that. And guess what you're going to do? You're going to start tapping into something that very few people find. What is that? The very nature of God himself. The one who created everything that you can see and everything you can't is here to reveal, here's my faithfulness for you. Look at it. And nobody, when you get a glimpse of that, nobody can pull that away from you. Now, another translation says it like this about Sarah. But Sarah's expectation was in the one who made the promise because, or I said that, sorry, sorry, Sarah's expectation wasn't in how or when God was going to make this happen. Sarah gave her dependency upon God authority over her life. That's what had authority. How God was going to do it? No. When God was going to do it? No. Her trust in him had authority over her. I trust God. This has authority in my life. And because of of where Abraham and Sarah placed their expectation, God was able to bring to pass his plans in their life. So you and I, we have to stop trying to put our expectations on how or when you are setting yourself up to fail. Now, I want to give you a quick example of a, a lady that I personally worked with. Jamie and I worked with this wonderful lady. She came to us little distraught because she was diagnosed with, with breast cancer. So she came and she said, can you pray? Absolutely. Prayer is a powerful thing. Before, before you just jump into it, you know, a lot of times what I've been learning just from my walk with the Lord more is that Jesus always located where people were at. Because you cannot take your will and put it on anybody else. So Jesus would always ask questions. So a question that we would often, we use quite oftenly is, what are you believing? What are you standing? Where from the word of God, what are you standing on? And so she shared a scripture here and there. and it, Great, wonderful. So we prayed with her. And as we were praying, there just something wasn't sticking. There's just something on the inside just going, not, something's not right here. So we just stopped and we just started asking questions. Okay, where, where, what, are you, what are you expecting this all to take place? What are you expecting this? How are you expecting God to do all this? And she started laying out to me that I, we, had a, we had an altar call here one Sunday morning. You called up people that wanted to be healed. And she said, I wanted, as soon as I walked up to this thing, that you would lay hands on me, pray for me, and that lump or that tumor would just fall off right on the ground in front of me. I went, oh, that would be awesome. But that's not for you and I to decide. God's will is healing. So yeah, that's why we can pray on that. But where we're missing it is you now are trying to dictate how it's supposed to look. So she very graciously and humbly just shared her whole story with me. And I said, can you go back to the last time you felt peace? Because again, we have to follow peace. And so she shared a whole lot. I mean, there's, there's a whole lot to the story. I'm just kind of giving you the, the highlights here. But one aspect that she said is, the last time that I felt peace, I remember I felt in my heart there was a cancer treatment center in Mexico, a very famous one, I guess. I don't know a whole lot about it. It's a, it's a great place, I guess. And they really specialize in these things. And she said, I felt in my heart to actually go buy a ticket and go down there and it would be taken care of. I said, so why didn't you? Well, you know, I had another, somebody that was really close to me said, no, just believe God, you can go and get it. That is not faith. That is presumption. What's presumption? Thinking something is true when it's not. 
God told her, listen, you cannot ride the Holy Spirit and say, well, this is what the Word of God says. Lay hands on the sick and they'll recover. Yeah, but you also need to be Spirit-led. Y'all, this is, this is huge for us. And so what happened? She said, that was the last time I felt peace. You need to go back and do that. I could pray all that I want till I'm black and blue in the face, till I've fasted 30 days and I've lost 100 pounds. Nothing is going to change. That's a faithless statement. No, that's a faith statement. What did depending on God tell you to do? He told you to go to Mexico. Get your ticket. Go to Mexico. And so what happened? She went. She was there for three weeks. Gone. But it's just not the spectacular. Hey, however healing comes is spectacular. It don't matter how it comes. We just go, Lord, you are the healer. What do I do here? And the Lord says, go to Mexico. So you have to follow that. Well, no, I just want so-and-so to pray for me. That's not how it is. You cannot dictate. And you can see the disappointment. You can see the frustration. I prayed. I believe God. I spoke to this thing. All great stuff. But what did he tell you to do? He told me to go to Mexico. Then get a ticket and buy. You're in disobedience looking for any other way. I'm just so glad that she obeyed. And she's completely cancer-free. So where, can you see where our expectations need to be? Our expectations need to be in. I know him. I know my God. This is what he said in his word. I know he's a healer. But you and I can't dictate how he's going to do it. Jesus didn't even dictate that. One time, all of a sudden, he had, the crowd was just there. He spoke to the spirit. And off the spirit went. Other times, Jesus had to pull the guy quietly. Spit and put mud in the guy's eyes. Other times, he had to go jump in the river. Jesus was not in control of how people were getting healed. The Spirit of God would initiate and say, hey, this is how we're going to do this. This is how we're going to do that. It constantly was on the move in that way. What is steady is God is steady. God is the same. He never changes. His promise is the same. That's why our expectation can be so secure in who he is. That's why a misplaced expectation on how he does it, the timing of it, because all of that is fluid. And how can I rest my faith in something that's this? I'm trying to catch it over here. Oh, oh heal, healing, get back here. Oh, no, 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 I did it over here. And you're all over the map trying to get whatever it is you need from God when in fact you're misplacing expectation and that is the breeding ground for your frustration. I have to put my expectation in what is constant, what never changes. And who is that? Jesus Christ and his word and in who he is. I encourage you, like James 1.17, there's no shadow of changing in him. Hebrews 13.8, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. That's who he is. So my faith rests in that. Now, to finish off here, we have to rightly divide a couple of these scriptures very accurately and clearly. Look at this, Mark chapter 11, 22 through 24. Anybody read these verses before? Oh, come on now. Anybody read these scriptures before? Where are my faith family? Have we read this before? We know the word. (laughs) So we've read this. Now we're going to bring some clarity to this. Because people can take this out of context and go, yeah, but I did this. Hold on. Mark 11, 22 says, have faith in God. And we would go, hoorah. 
Verse 23. This is Jesus speaking. He says, I assure you and most solemnly say to you, whoever, whoever means me, right? Whoever says to this mountain, this problem, be lifted up and thrown into the sea and does not doubt in his heart in God's unlimited power, but believes that what he says is going to take place, it will be done for him in accordance to God's will. Verse 24, for this is the reason I'm telling you, whatever things you ask for in prayer, in accordance with God's will, believe with confident trust that you have received them and it shall be given to you. And God's people said, amen. And is that true? Absolutely. It's absolutely the truth. But here's the mistake of what we've done. We've taken this scripture again. Remember what's grace teaching us? How to depend on God. We take this scripture and we start speaking and declaring things without depending on God and expecting it to get out of our way. You alone are not powerful. There's nothing in you that cause a mountain to move. Why? You are the dependent one. You are not the source of power. You are in need of power. And who's God at all? We know that to be our God. So if I'm saying anything from not depending on him, it won't work. And what I mean in dependency upon him, that I'm hearing him say to me what I need to say. All of a sudden, something comes to my body. I don't just start going, that's it. In the name of Jesus, leg, you get better right now. And you start going to town on this leg. The question you need to ask is, Lord, what are we doing here? What do I need to go to? What do I need to stand on for this, this, this thing going on right here at the moment? Why is that important? Because John 15, turn over there a little bit, right before Jesus went to the cross, Jesus said these words, remain in me and I will remain in you. Just as no branch can bear fruit by itself without remaining in the vine, neither can you bear fruit. Hold on. Neither can you. Well, we don't like that a whole lot, do we as charismatics? Are you kidding me? What, what, what? Neither can you bear fruit or producing evidence of your dependency upon God unless you remain in me. Jesus went on to say, I am the vine, you are the branches. What is the vine? What does it carry? All the power. The vine is all the source. What do branches carry? What does a branch produce? Can a branch produce fruit on its own? No. no. If it's severed from the vine, it's just... <laughs> this is what you are. What makes you powerful is who you're connected to. Not, I can, I can talk a good Christian talk. That means nothing. It means absolutely nothing. You can tell the difference when it's coming from a place of connection to a vine. When you start speaking, you don't need to showboat it. You can just say, in the name of Jesus, this has to change. And it just happens. How did that happen? You're connected to the vine. I'm the vine. You are the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him bears much fruit. For otherwise, apart from me, that is cut off from vital union with me, I can do no thing. 
I can't do anything. You can't do anything. How? When you're not connected to the vine. You can speak all you want. It does not matter unless the vine is telling you or leading you or saying, this is what I need you to go after. We have nothing to believe. He's the source. Verse 6, he says, if anyone doesn't remain in me, he is thrown out like a broken off branch and it withers and dies and they gather the branches and they throw them in the fire to be burned. Verse 7, but if you remain in me and my words, now notice this, other translations say that they live inside of you or they take hold of your heart. So Jesus is actually telling you and I the, the secret to a prayer life. To answer prayers, guess what we call all the time? Just think, God, it's up to you if my prayers get answered. Jesus right here is saying completely the opposite. And meanwhile, the Christian world is just saying, well, God didn't happen. Well, you know, God works in mysterious ways. No, he doesn't. There's things that he does that, yeah, they are not mysterious in the way of it's mystical. It's kind of weird. No, it just means that I don't know how he's going to do that. But he is. So it's not he's some kind of unknown being that we'll never figure out. Jesus very clearly laid it out. If you remain in me and what? My words remain in you. That is, if they are vitally united to my message and they live in your heart, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Why is this so important? God wants these prayers answered because my father, verse 8, is glorified. And honored by this, when you bear much prayer fruit. And this is how you prove to be my true disciples. So this is what gets God glory, is when your prayers get answers. He is obsessed with answering your prayers. What does he need? His word taking root in your heart, so you're not just going out there and damning or condemning anything out there. Because if God were to turn the power off, turn the power up, I mean, sorry, who knows who you may be blasting off the road? It's yellow. Go, push it, punch it. Stupid car, kaboom. So what is God needing? He needs this word, this message of his grace to take root in your heart so that when you start speaking, you sound like him. I believe God wants to turn the power up for the church, but how does, what does he need? He needs the church's heart to be totally embracing the message of his grace. Anything else? No, we can't turn it up because we're trying to say this and we're trying to say that. We have to work in accordance to his will. Well, I speak this over that country and I speak this over our governor and I speak, is that what he wants? Because remember, we say things and we're saying, in Jesus' name, careful. Because we're acting as a representation of him. So if I'm just throwing these things out there, Lord, is that actually what you want? I have to be so careful in that. And I'm finishing with this last verse, Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 12. My job is not trying to figure out how God is going to do what he said. My job is to depend on him. All that Abraham and Sarah brought to the table concerning God's will for their lives was complete dependency upon God. 100 years old, 90 years old, could not make a baby. They couldn't do it when they were 20. And now you're 100 and now you're 90? I'll let you do the natural thought process to this and go, how is that going to work? It didn't work. So why is it that is taking this all? God is moving on their behalf so that when people read this story, it goes, only God could do something like that. That's right. 
So you may kind of be feeling, man, it's, it's hopeless. I don't know what kind of situation. My family is a mess right now. Or, man, my finances are a mess. My body feels like it's been run through a ringer. Whatever it may have you, you know what you need to do? Not try to figure out all this stuff out. You need to go to this place of, I depend on God. That's the only thing that you bring to this table. His job is to, Jeremiah 1.12, his job is to, I am alert and I am active watching over my word to perform it. God is the performer. I'm the depender. What's your job? Depend. What are you going to do tomorrow? Depend. What about Tuesday, though? Well, shouldn't you be doing a few things in order to prove some? No, no, no. I depend. Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Christmas morning, next week, Sunday. What am I doing? I'm depending on God. This is the only call that you and I are called to do. Now, let's, can we pray this prayer together and my, we'll be done. And before we read this, I want to just give you the, my son, Brooks, my youngest boy. He has this really cute saying right now. He says, I cannot. And he says it regularly, I cannot. Brooksy, can you, can, you, can you go upstairs this time for a bit? I cannot walk. And it's, Brooksy, can you go get a snack? I cannot get snack. Like, it's just this, I cannot. I think it's time for you and I come to this place of, I cannot do this life apart from him. I cannot. Say it with me. I cannot. I cannot. I will not. I shall not. Sounds like a Dr. Seuss book. But can we read this prayer together? I want this to come from the depths of who we are. That we start trying to do this life on our own. So it reads like this. Lord. Here are the areas where I've misplaced my expectations. I'm bringing it to you to get your say on the matter. I'm sorry that I've placed my expectations and tried dictating to you how things need to go and when they need to happen. I'm surrendering those mindsets and expectations that tried dictating to you. Lord, today... I'm making a decision to go after you because I want to know you. Thank you for revealing yourself to me. My expectations are in you and in what you say. Thank you for being such a loving father, so patient and kind towards me. This Christmas season, I choose to rest in your love and enjoy the season. Thank you for your grace that is instructing me to depend on you in Jesus' name.